is Sean Donovan, and you're listening to the guys at Send Central. I'm Drake Bowerson, and you're listening to Send Central. These players want to be in Ottawa. Nikita Zaitsev waived his no-trade clause to come to Ottawa. Ron Hainsey had multiple options and decided to come to Ottawa. Ennis had options decided to come to Ottawa. I can tell you that uh, both VJ and I can say that Connor Brown is probably the most excited to be here. Hello, Sens fans, and welcome. It's episode 60 of Making Sense of the Sens. The last time we spoke, DJ Smith had just been named head coach. And now there's almost half a new roster, and, well, most of them are from his old team. I'm Ross Levitan alongside Brandon Piller in the TSN studios. Hello, everybody. And over the phone from Woodstock, Ontario, Chris Parliament. How you doing, Parley? I'm good, boys. I'm good. Ready to go. We mentioned all the Leafs that are penetrating Sen's army, but before we get to all that, the NHL draft. One of the best days of the year, and the Ottawa Senators introduced six new members to the organization. It started at pick number 19, Lassie Thompson. Once again, I don't think any mock draft had Lassie Thompson going to the Ottawa Senators, and that's because many had him going near the end of the first round. And that was a theme throughout draft day, but let's stick with Lassie Thompson right now. Pillar, what were your first impressions of the pick? Well, right away, uh, I didn't know too much about Lassie Thompson because, like you said, he wasn't projected to go that high. Shocker, Sens might have reached for him. But I am happy that... uh, As far as I'm concerned, their biggest need at the draft was a right-hand shot defenseman, which Lassie Thompson is. And he's got some nice offense to him, too. I mean, 17 goals uh, with the Kelowna Rockets. Like, this guy's got a monster shot. I don't know if you watched some of the highlights from Sen's Prospect, but he looks like he really can handle the puck well. And hopefully, down the line, if everything works out and he... uh, projects to be as good as we hope he can be in the top four playing alongside either Shabbat or Branstrom in the future. We always play off the top about the episode number and former senators that have worn that one. Of course, episode 60, you think Mark Stone when he made his NHL debut in the 2012 playoffs, assisting on that Spezza goal in the one nothing win. Well, Lassie Thompson at development camp was wearing number 60. <laughs> so just to bring it full circle and good tease there, an industry tease, Pilsy. Sends prospects. Henry will join us in just a little bit from Dev Camp. He was there firsthand. We weren't able to make it this year after we had a great time there last year, Parley and I. So, Parley, I'm going to go to you on Lassie Thompson. Now, we talked about the right shot. Very important. Now, I want to get into a little bit more with Lassie Thompson because he played under Adam Foote, a well-known veteran. How many? He won a couple cups, definitely with Colorado at least once. And just kind of your your stay-at-home, rugged defenseman. Now he's a head coach. He has two sons who have, are both first-round picks. With in, Tampa. Yeah, both with Tampa. Yeah, yeah that's kind of an interesting uh, aside. But with Thompson, he has the option of going back to Kelowna for next year. They're hosting the Memorial Cup. So he would be guaranteed a spot there, and we know teams bulk up, and he would probably be on a powerhouse team in Kelowna. Or he can go and play against men, which I think is where they're leaning towards, sending him to his hometown in the in the Finnish Elite League. Thompson is much like Brady Kachuk last year. He's one of the oldest players in the draft. What do you think would be best for his development going forward? Well, Look at a guy like this, and he's a right-shot guy that's known for being able to move the puck, play with the puck, and shoot. 
But what I loved about him is that he's, he knows what he needs to work on, and he wants to work on strengths. He wants to get stronger, and he wants to get better at shooting the puck. And you know what? I don't think he's going to be challenged in Kelowna enough to really move forward with that progression. So I think the best move for him is to go and play against men because that's where you're going to learn to play in less time, in less space. You'll have to choose better shot lanes because you know men are going to be doing a better job of uh, bulking up the middle and not being able to get shots through. So if a guy wants to work on a shot and he's serious about it, which I think this kid is, I think it's a better move to go play for men. And Ross, I think uh, this is a funny little stat that I thought of you as soon as it happened. Uh, We talk about how he's from Finland. Uh, We always talk about also that the Sens haven't taken a Russian in the first round for how long? Probably since Volchenkov. Yeah, exactly. First ever Finn taken in the first round by the Ottawa Senators. Wow. There you go. Learn something new every day, Pilsy. Yeah, that's uh, that's some good stuff there, Parley. Uh, To me, it doesn't... I, I find advantages to either decision, whether he stays in Kelowna or goes to Finland, because like you said, they're going to be hosting the Memorial Cup, so he's going to be getting a lot of hockey played uh, next year if he stays in Kelowna. And Adam Foote, as your head coach, not too shabby, having one of the best defensemen to ever play the game to uh, work Maybe under. Maybe best shutdown. I don't know if he's one of the best defensemen ever. He's, I would, I would say in his prime when he was playing in Colorado, he was pretty good. Maybe best defenseman ever is a stretch, but he's he's in a category of definitely legendary defenseman. Very good. Yeah. And speaking of which, he's got his number retired in, in Colorado, if I'm not mistaken. I, would, I mean, they retired Ray Bork's number. He played a year for them. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. But ha- having said that, Kelowna also is an excellent place for uh, developing defensemen. Just to list off some of the guys coming from the Rockets, you got Shea Weber, Duncan Keith, Tyson Berry, Alexander uh, Edler, and Tyler Myers wow. all started there. So they know how to develop defensemen. and. I don't have a problem with uh, Lassie Thompson staying there and owning his uh, skills uh, for one more season in the dub. It should be noted. And you know what? It's a beautiful place to live, too. Oh, yeah. Kelowna is one of my top places in, in the world. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Pierre Maguire said during Good the draft boys. coverage that he almost reminded him of Duncan Keith at the same age, which to me means that he has a mean streak in him as well, and I like that yeah. uh, for my defenseman, especially my offensive-minded defenseman. A little bit of ruggedness. We know Eric Branstrom has a little bit of the, the same ilk. Should be noted, he can play for Belleville if he is signed, but I don't think that's the best course of action. There's lots of defensemen there who are maybe a step ahead in their development, not to say that he won't get there, but no problem for me him playing either in Kelowna or in Ilvis. I've been trying to stay away from saying it, but that's the name of the team. It's his hometown in, yeah. in Finland. But let's move on. Day two of the draft, the Sens had the first pick. A lot of people thought they were going with Arthur Kaliev, who was surprisingly not taken in the first round. There were talk about uh, his work ethic and there was that famous video the Sens put out where Pierre Dorian goes, is he a low character guy? <laughs> not necessarily talking about Kaliev, but clearly the Sens have made it their prerogative to draft high character guys. And I think that's what they went with here with Shane Pinto. And apparently he's only been playing hockey for like five, six years. He started late and he split last year between the Lincoln Stars and the Tri-City Storm in the United States Hockey League. 59 points, 56 games. So he was able to provide offense at that level. Apparently he's great on faceoffs. Two-way guy. Almost kind of reminded me of Colin White, the way that his scouting report uh, was. Of course, I've never seen him play. I know he's a commit to North Dakota. 
So he'll join a couple other Sens prospects there and Jacob Bernard Docker and Johnny Tyconic. So Shane Pinto, a little bit off the board too. Again, we mentioned the theme and this will carry on through the day. Shane Pinto, what do we got on the bean, we'll call him? Well, well, first, when this draft pick was announced, I was pretty upset because with this 30-second pick, the, the Sens already have an amazing prospect pool. You, you have guys in positions all over the place that are developing. What I wanted from this pick was for the Sens to try to hit a home run. Go for a high-risk, high-reward guy. Go for a guy that has a high ceiling, maybe take some time to develop, but try to hit a home run with this pick. And, of course, they went with the safe pick. And uh, you, you said it, uh, Arthur Cal. How do you say his name? Kaliev. Kaliev, yes. Um, and Bobby Brink were both still available. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as the Sens take Shane Pinto, L.A. and Philly <laughs> snap them up right after. So that tells you something, that they were probably licking their chops, thinking we might actually get... Uh, one of these guys, and the Sens went for the safe pick. So, Parley, I'll toss it over to, uh, to you for more about Shane Pinto, but I was shocked that they didn't take Kaliev. And you know what? It's funny that you guys were saying that because literally my first note on Shane Pinto is not Raphael Lavoie. I love what he was able to do for the Mooseheads in his junior career. He played well in a Canadian uniform at the junior level, and I thought that was a guy that they were going to go after because he showed some goal-scoring ability from the right side, and I, that as we all know, is a major need for the Senators. But, I mean, centermen are a need, too. Uh, I like the kid's size. And, Ross, you mentioned the uh, going to North Dakota and playing with a couple Sens guys. Uh, there's a lot of talent on that team, and they won in 2016. So it's a really good program that he's going into. And another note on them that makes it kind of interesting is they have four forwards that have already signed pro deals. Wow. So if they're able to uh, like keep the guys, keep guys going, like that, they've obviously developed well, so uh, it could potentially be a wagon there. Uh, and another note I had on them too is I always love when guys are playing against older players, and uh, the United States Hockey League certainly has that sort of uh, that sort of draw to it as well. That's yeah, it's like Tier Two team. Junior A in Canada, where you're 16 yeah. to 20, kind of like OHL too. But uh, the more I read on this kid, I you know you guys know how much I love doing player comparables and stuff like that, but. Uh, He's got the same size and uh, of a player that I'm pretty high on that's already been in the league, well, drafted. Uh, he's a good skater, and he's known primarily as a shooter, so kind of a straight-line guy with a shot. And as we all remember from this year's World Juniors, that was the uh, blueprint for Owen Tippett going in, and he's really kind of blossomed since then and added a few more things to his game. So if Shane Pinto is able to kind of add more size, a little bit more weight, and maybe one more tool to his tool bag, uh, I think we could look at a guy like maybe Owen Tippett. So that might be a home run that they were able to hit uh, if you're being optimistic. And just a quick note, Owen Tippett was taking 22 kicks earlier. So if you want to be optimistic, there you go, buddy. There you go. And then, of course, what would the draft be without a transaction? The Sens didn't wait long after they picked Shane Pinto 32nd. It was when the 37th pick was on the clock where the Sens traded pick 44 to move up seven spots. They also had to give up their third-round pick, so 83rd overall, and they selected a goalie to make it eight for the organization. Mad Sogard from Denmark playing in Medicine Hat. Funny aside is... 
He actually stole the job from Jordan Hollett, who was a Sens draft pick from a few years ago. Now, what happens in the draft is, well, after Spencer Knight, because he was a a special uh, exemption, is that he went top 15. But once a goalie goes, they all start to go. Now, Pyotr Kotchikov went off the board at 36 overall. So Pierre Dorian had his guy. He said, I'm not letting this get away from me. So they took the goalie, and he is a big, big tendy. Pillsy, we're a goalie-friendly show. What do you got to say about him? Ross, this shocked me. When I saw that the Sens were trading up, I was scrounging through um, draft projections, trying to decide who are they going for here. I can tell you the last thing I thought that was going to happen was they were going to draft a goalie. Because I think Pierre Dorian made it fairly clear in uh, a bunch of uh, interviews before the draft that they weren't too high on any goalies. He specifically said they weren't going to take a goalie with the first round pick. And then they trade up to select a goalie. Now, normally I don't have a problem with that. But with the depth of uh, goalies that the Sens have, it kind of seemed like a weird move. But if you're going to trade up and get a goalie, like you said, Ross, the goalie train was kind of getting moving. Uh, Teams are starting to pick goalies. If you're going to get a goalie, get an 18-year-old who's already six foot seven. I don't mind that. That's some Just the size alone is great right there. So I think this could be a really good move for the Sens down the line. And I think something that people maybe are overlooking is when Seattle comes around and that expansion draft comes, I don't think there's too many players that Seattle's going to want to take that are even available for the Sens. Most likely, it's going to be a goalie that they end up uh, taking from this organization. So maybe that's a tactical move that uh, the Sens thought ahead of when drafting Sogard. And goaltenders are the kind of guys where you want to develop. Well, maybe the Sens didn't do it properly in the sense that uh, two of the goalies they decided to let go uh, were nominated for the Vesna Trophy uh, this past season. But Whoops. You, you can never have too many good goalies in an organization. One with the volatility of the position. You just yep. don't know from one year to another uh, who's going to step up and uh, I, I like the idea that he's not just a big guy like Ben Bishop where he just goes down and covers it. From all from all sounds, he's an athletic guy for his height, and that's something that I can always get behind. And it's not like he's going to come and play pro next year. He'll go back to Medicine Hat. He'll have probably one, maybe two more years of junior. He got lit up in the World Juniors playing for Denmark, but uh, not much help on that team. Yeah. Um, so you can expect him in the World Juniors once again. Uh, this coming season, and it'll be fun to watch him play. I'm excited to hear what uh, what Henry has to think because he got a, a first-hand look of him. Uh, but we'll move on for now to the fourth pick, as we mentioned, the third-round pick in that trade. Um, this one was way off the board. Um, like Some people didn't even have him as a draft-eligible player. They just <laughs> ignored him. Uh, Victor Lodi, um, how the Sens saw him, I would imagine it was because he was playing on the same team as Nick Ebert the uh, defenseman who signed with the Sens on a two-way deal. Uh, so they were playing together in Orb- Orbrio? Orbrio? Anyways, in the Swedish Hockey League. Yeah. And he had five points in 41 games, 20 years old. Now, what the Sens scout said is they saw a drastic improvement in his skating and his willingness to bulk up in the gym and to, to put on weight and just that desire saying, I want to be a pro hockey player. Now, I don't know if that's enough to be an NHLer, but it seems like this one's a bit of a reach where time will tell. Honestly, Ross, the way you just described him, he sounds like a senator already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, uh, like, 
I don't know. I didn't... So you're saying he's bottom six? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he looked great on a third line, eh? Um, <laughs> this is a pick that really caught me off guard. I don't know too much about this guy. All I can really say is, you know what? It's it's a centerman. It's great to have uh, prospects that can play center, and hopefully he conti- <laughs> continues to develop and uh, maybe. Maybe we see him playing uh, some sort of role in this organization down the future. At I don't center. Know. Yeah, at center. <laughs> He's a center you know that if can I play throw... center, he just said. <laughs> <laughs> That's the info I got on him. If I could throw one word out there for Victor Lodine, it would be unranked. Yep. Yeah, that's fair. Moving but, on. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see about Victor. <laughs> Prove us wrong, buddy. But with the fifth round pick, this one I was actually really, uh, it made me think a little bit. And at 125th overall, a player who had been passed over in two drafts, Mark Kastelik. Parley, you got something on him. Absolutely love this guy already. And you know what? So did his head coach for the Calgary Hitmen. His head coach's name is Steve Hamilton. This is a direct quote from Coach Hamilton. He's the gold standard of preparation off the ice. And then he went on to allude to how he prepares his body and does all the extra things. This guy is a leader through and through. Led the team with points. And he had to see on his jersey. I love this guy. And mark my words, boys, next year's Jonathan Petra Award winner at Dev Camp. Wow, calling it now. So you're assuming the Parker Kelly won't be back to yeah. defend his crown for a third straight year. Yeah, this... and you know what, boys? Like this Castellet kid, I love his size. Six foot four, two thirteen. I I understand he's an overager, so it's easier for him to kind of add on. He's had way more time in the gym than these other guys, but he can score too. He's not just a presence out there physically, and doing it in the WHL. It's, it's impressive. I'm, I'm excited about this. Guy. So in 2017-18, he had 45 points in 71 games. This past year, he had 47 goals in less games yeah. too. Five less games. The this is this was finally when I I looked at the projections. You, you're looking at a, a fifth round, 125th overall pick, and I was like, wow, this makes a lot of sense. Like this was yeah. probably the only pick in the draft where I was like, wow, this makes a lot of sense to take this guy here. And I can see what what the Sens uh, see out of him. I mean, you just said it: forty-seven goals in sixty-six games. He is an overager, but that's still impressive, nonetheless. And Parley, you said it: he's got size, six foot four, two hundred thirteen pounds. For a fifth round draft pick, I'll take that any day. Absolutely, sounds like a bottom six guy to me. <laughs> uh, maybe in the ilk of Zach Smith, I think would be. I know you like your player comparables, Parley. I think that would be. Yeah. Um, That'd be solid if he could get one twenty-five goal season and sign a four-year contract based off of that. Sure, yeah, <laughs> great. Why not? Uh, something else to note: uh, Phoenix, Arizona kid. So with yeah. Brady Kachuk born in Scottsdale, could mm. be could be two from Arizona. That would be one more than an Austin Matthews. Uh, move, and also, sorry, go ahead. We got him in uh, Dak. Joey Decord can uh, talk about AZ. There you go. With the seventh pick, I don't think we'll spend too much time on this. 187th overall, Max Gwinnett. Although HockeyProspect.com ranked him 108th overall, Future Considerations had him 150th. So, I mean, if if a, a fifth-round prospect going in the seventh round counts as a steal, I mean, this could be one. Uh, he plays for Val Dor in the Quebec Major Junior League. 
I mean, 32 points in 68 games. He was at the Hyvin Alinka Gretzky Memorial Tournament, so um, he's got that going for him as well. I just, I don't really think we need to spend too much time on him, but uh, maybe the next have, couple I, of years he'll blossom. I do have something funny on him. Uh, I was trying to find something for him, just have some kind of talking point, and uh, I ended up on a uh, on an article from Silver Seven by. And underscore do, if he's listening, shout out, I guess. Uh, he said in the last line, he models his game around Drew Doughty. Hopefully not the sneaky attacks part, though. It should be noted he's already due for a Norris trophy. <laughs> nice. There you go. I can't wait to see his uh, his speech once he wins the 2027 <laughs> Norris trophy. Yeah, well, I thought that was worth Well, boys, I mean, that's about all we can say without actually seeing them play. So why don't we throw it over to uh, a guy who... Well, it wasn't only just pumping out unbelievable content. Uh, so I've been working uh, in the summer as well back at the re- in the restaurant game. So I've been getting home pretty late. So it was like 2.30 in the morning, Saturday night, and I'm sitting on my couch and I'm watching a still f- frame camera of ni- like 19, 20, 21-year-old kids just going in and ripping wrist shots. And I was like, what is going on? But, I mean, the content's <laughs> unbelievable. Sends prospects. You, I know you already follow them. Nobody should be following us and not following Sends prospects. Yes. Or you got your head on a swivel. You need to fix that right down. So let's go. Without further ado, Henry Brown, Sends prospects. Here he is. All right. We don't really need to introduce this guy, but we will anyways. At Sends prospects, Henry Brown, joining the podcast once again, friend of the show. Has been for a while. How are you doing today, Henry? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me back. Well, you finally found your way back from the Sensplex. You've been spending a lot of time there recently. Yeah, not a bad place to beat the heat uh, over the past few weeks. It's been it's been pretty toasty here in Ottawa, so uh, not a not a bad break. This is not your first uh, introduction to development camp. You've been doing it for a few years now. Pierre Dorian, of course, I don't know what else he would say, but saying that this was the most competitive of the ones he's ever seen. Would you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was just shocking how I felt familiar with so many players on the ice uh, combination of just, you know, the, the pipeline, the prospect pipeline's never been so full. There really didn't feel like there are a lot of invites or if they were, you know, they, they didn't stand out like in years past. And I think to just speaks to the, the strength of the, the class that was there this year. Let's talk about the, the newest class. Oh, that's where I want to start with because just leading into to bringing you on, we dissected pick by pick uh, the newest members of the organization. Uh, which one or ones really stood out to you uh, from the 2019 draft class? Yeah, great question. Um, Lassie Thanks. Thompson for sure. <laughs> Lassie Thompson obviously uh, was, was top of the pops there. Shane Pinto and Max Gannett, I'd say, are the three that really caught my eye um, over the course of the drills and uh, in the scrimmage and three-on-three portion. Uh, so those are the three that I, I would put at the top of the list from this recent draft class. And then, you know, we can go into any one of those if, if you got some deeper questions. Yeah, so I, I do actually, especially with Shane Pinto, because I'm always a little hesitant with these USHL guys. I like to give them a year because usually they're already committed to college. I like kind of following that, that freshman year before I make a real assumption of what they're going to be. But my initial impression was almost like looking at his stats, kind of Colin White-esque, a two-way guy, maybe hard to play against down low. Would I be off in that assumption? And, and what more can you tell us about Shane Pinto? 
Yeah, I liked what you said there about being hard to play against. I, I think Shane Pinto is not unlike a lot of the other guys from this draft class. He's got uh, a sizable frame, but he still has some growing to do to get you know meat on his bones to grow into that frame. But it was really encouraging to see him use his size to his advantage already. Like that's a skill set that he's um, already developed. Clearly, probably been you know a little bit bigger than average growing up. Um, he seems to have a nose for the net, a good stick that I noticed here and there too. I I would be thrilled if the projection ends up going more in the Colin White uh, vein. Personally, the pick felt a lot like Shane Bowers. That's the name that kind of Fair. came to mind that came to mind when they announced it. And I gotta say, I don't know about you guys, but I was thrown for a bit of a loop when that when that pick was announced. When he said from the USHL, I was like, "All right, here we go, Bobby Brink yep. coming aboard." Yep. And then Shane Pinto wasn't even. It was similar to the first round pick. I I just. You know, I probably had five to ten names I was thinking of, and it just wasn't one of them. And so you just sort of have this muted, freezed reaction. But those are some thoughts on Shane Pinto to begin here. So you mentioned you were a little frozen by the first pick, Lassie Thompson. What did you see from him in dev camp? And do you think he was the right guy? Did the Sens reach maybe to try to fill a position need in a right-hand shot defenseman? Or do you think this guy actually checks out? After watching him, I do think he checked out. Uh, I could still, I, I mean, based on where he was picked and some of the options that were on the board, for sure, it felt like a little bit of a reach. He was someone more that I was thinking would be available with that first pick of the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly, after after watching him, I know it's just a couple on-ice sessions and a couple, couple scrimmages here and there, but he's really got some confidence about him. The guy, again, just like Pinto, he's got some growing to do. I, again, someone's got to check this for me. It looked like he's got massive feet. Everyone was talking about foot, uh, his Kelowna teammate who went in the first round. He's got something like size 13 skates. Thompson looks like, um, you know, for a guy with, with sort of bigger limbs, uh, he moves really, really smoothly. Uh, and that's clearly something that you, you need to have on your back end to be uh, a good team in today's NHL. So um, I was really impressed with the confidence that he showed in both the scrimmage and the three-on-three tournament. You could see, you know, he was not shy to make some moves, even though he was last guy back. You know, he's not just making the safe plays off the glass and out, off the boards and off, that kind of thing. He's really got that sort of offensive flair to his game, too. So um, I was feeling a lot better about the pick by the time Dev Camp came to an end. Well, that that's music to my ears because uh, definitely wasn't too sure if maybe the Sens uh, reached on that pick. But I know it's a little early, but... Uh, where would you prefer to see uh, Lassie Thompson play next season if uh, you had it your way? It's pretty impressive that he put up 16 goals as a rookie defenseman in the Western Hockey League. So I know that Kelowna is hosting the Memorial Cup this year. They're going to stack their team, I'm, I'm sure, and, and have a competitive season. But uh, at this point, what else, does, what else does Lassie have left to prove in that league? Mm-hmm. Um, the travel is definitely not the best. Uh, if you're ripping across the prairies, down into the States, here and there. Um, I would be fine to see him go back to play in Finland, get uh, a season of playing against men under his belt. He's, he's, uh, I think he's graduated from the Canadian Hockey League. That's going to be an exciting uh, storyline to watch. Uh, I'm personally on board with, the, with what you said, going back to Finland for another year. Um, definitely not AHL yet. That's kind of an option that I've, I've already scratched out in my head. Uh, somebody who will be in the WHL again next year was, uh, Matt Sogart and another pick that threw me for a loop with the eighth goalie in the organization. Now, now we're a goalie friendly show, but, uh, this, I mean, we're going to have to expand here and, and start renting a bus to carry all these guys. Um, but 
ultimately. I think you even brought his name up last time we had you on because we were talking about Jordan Hollett, and you mentioned how he had been surpassed, well, by none other than Matt Sogart. Um, he's huge. He's six foot seven, uh, even bigger on skates. But uh, is it true what they say that he moves really well for his size in his in his net? Yeah, a couple things that you touched on there too. So even I, I watched I watched probably three or four Tigers games this year where Jordan Hollett was the starter. He got pulled in at least one of them in favor of Sogard. So I'd already unintentionally done some pre-scouting on this guy, and, and you hit the nail on the head. It is it is shocking how fluid he is at his size. Um, his it, you know the, his pants are basically at the crossbar, which is it's just it's almost looks like you're watching something that it, it doesn't really you know I, i'm having a tough time even putting it into words right now you don't see guys that big in the net moving like that very often and he's got a glove hand on him too i was really impressed by that i think you saw that often in the scrimmage too that's awesome because i mean at least for sense fans they probably think huge goalie they think ben bishop and one of the knocks on him when he was younger is that he would just go down into a blocking stance and and just hope it hit him we saw a lot of goals go upstairs on him and you're like how is yeah. How are these pucks going over him? He's six foot eight, but yeah. uh, so that's really reassuring to to know that that his athleticism could save him in those situations. Yeah, absolutely. Still, it still felt like a bit of a head scratcher at the time. Like you said, the the goalie cupboard has never felt more full. But I'm encouraged after seeing what he brought to the table. And even though uh, Kevin Mandelis is a year older, I think uh, it wasn't really close as to who was the better between him and Sogard at at Dev Camp. So with having all these goalies, like we just mentioned, uh, I think Ross said eight of them now in the system. I'm just curious, where do you kind of have the hierarchy of goalie prospects now? Because I've been kind of tinkering where I have each guy slated. Is Sogard, is he kind of, is he in the middle of Hogberg and Gustafson? Is he below those guys? And I mean, I'm talking about uh, career projection-wise, sort of. Like, where where do you have them ranked? And I just want to also chime in that when I said eight, I was counting Nielsen yeah, and totally. Anderson yeah. there. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. But more so in terms of the prospects. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a really good question. I, I was really kind of, I guess, I guess we're still calling uh, Marcus Hogberg a prospect too, right? I mean, he's... This will be his last gone. year. We'll give him that. Yeah, that's that's fair. It was nice. I mean, he wasn't uh, he wasn't back at Dev Camp this year. It's nice to see when guys kind of graduate from that um, from those ranks. Crazy to see, by the way. Just total left field side note that Miles Gendron was at. I think it was his sixth Dev Camp this year, which has got to wow. be some sort of record. I'm pretty sure he's, he's come every year since he was drafted in 2014. But uh, I guess I'll stop stalling and try and get to that that ranking. I think uh, yeah, you're, you're I, jotting down notes right now. Like, <laughs> no, this guy up here, no down there. These are my, these are my tricks. I still, I still, I'm, it's tough not to have lost a little bit of confidence in Philip Philly franchises yep. uh, tag as the goalie of the future, uh, especially just watching these guys, you know, all competing in the past week. I was really, really impressed uh, with where Joey Decord, friend of the show nice. has, has, you know, brought his game to over the past couple of years. You could really see his technical strength, especially. He was often paired with Mandalese. So, you know, Gord would do the drill first, Mandalese second, then they'd kind of do a little bit of conferencing afterwards, some tips and tricks here and there. Um, and it was just Decord doing all of the teaching, whereas oftentimes you had the two Scandinavians paired together. But uh, projection, I think, I think I'm putting, I would put Sogard, Sogard top of the pops right now. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just if you have a guy who's that big who can move that quickly, yeah. who's got a glove, 
Uh, he's going to get some preferential treatment too because he was a second round pick by this organization, right? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to put him there. That you know, I think there is a little bit too. Um, some guys can have a better chance of succeeding by virtue of being put in a better chance to succeed. So I think he'll benefit from some of that. Um, but let's go Sogard. Oh man, this is this is a hard one. I'm just going to say the guys at Dev Camp. It would go Sogard, Decord, Gustafson, Mandalay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people just didn't really fully understand how good Joey Decord is. And he had his coming out party last season. I think he's going to really turn some heads, uh, especially if he gets some chances to make some starts in Belleville this season. I think he can really show people what he's all about. Yeah. I want to see 15 starts in Belleville. That'd be I, great. I, think that, I think that's a generous number. I think it'll probably be around 10 barring injuries, but I think if he gets 15 to 20 starts here, that's going to be a great uh, beginning or kickstart to a career. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised to see him slot ahead of Philip Gustafson this coming season wow. in terms of just the depth chart. Uh, for example, have Gustafson maybe on an ECHL net while Decord spends more time in the American League. That's just that's just how the, the a feeling I have coming away from camp. I'd be curious to get get your guys' thoughts too. You know, you watched a ton of Belleville hockey last year too. Yeah, I agree, and I was always more confident in the team when Hogberg was in that, I'll tell you that for well, free. Well, so was the coaching staff. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, he had that run where where when Hogberg was up, I think it was the start of January, Gustafson had played, what, 15 games in a row? It was, it was quite a bit. Yeah. And then I think he only saw the net once or twice the rest of the year. Hogberg really took the reins. They went on that that point mm-hmm. streak. I think it was 18 or 20 games. Yep. Um, and yeah, I mean, Gustin plays pretty deep in his net. That's that's the one knock I have. And his gloves kind of like they droop down a little bit. Um, whereas Decord, you can tell his dad's a goalie coach. Like yeah. everything technical is just yes. so on point. Especially in your videos you post this week, like just getting up on the power leg. Like he's always set, always over. I mean, the sky's the limit. I think for him. Um, so yeah, like the, the more that we're talking about it, I guess being a seventh round pick and coming from the uh, animos- not animosity, anonymity uh, of being down in Arizona State. I guess it was almost out of sight, out of mind. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, this cute little prospect that we have. But, man, the yeah. kid can play, and I think this this year is really going to show that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we could talk goalies all day long. Something I want to get into is, so last year, I mean, you were there, we were there. Um, that 2015 draft class, I think the only guys left, like Shabbat, they didn't bother having him there. But Colin White... Philip Schlappick, Christian Milanen, Christian Yarosh. They were so much better than everybody else. Um, mm-hmm. With the 2016 class, like, was Lajoie hurt? Is 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 he still recovering? Like, I, I don't know why he wasn't there. That's a really good question. It could be that just by virtue of, you know, he spent almost the entire season in the NHL, that yeah. perhaps that's sort of the, the benchmark for graduating from dev camp. I can't think of too many examples of guys who, what he played less than five games with Belleville, I think, right? Yeah, he did. I think it was his third game that he got hurt. He had the one point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, w- I think we talked about this last time you are on, too, but I would have sent him down long earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but So the only 2016 prospect or class that was there was Logan Brown and your boy, Marcus Nurmi. Um, mm-hmm. Does he still have an NHL future, and was Brown the, the top of the class amongst the players? Yeah, I definitely thought Logan Brown was. It was really impressive to see the steps that he'd taken from last season. I kind of wish he had the opportunity that Joey Decor did, where I know he's a first-round pick. He played in the Ontario League. It felt like he's just been under the microscope since day one of mm-hmm. entering the organization. I, I really wish he could just go away and just develop for a couple more years. 
but it was really encouraging to see how it looks like he's, you know, found another gear in his skating. He was incredibly confident. He was always leading the drills, showing other guys how to do things. It was nice to see him take on probably a little bit of a leadership role. Uh, no doubt you got to get more comfortable with every dev camp that you attend. And he it was, it was like he was toying around with some of the younger guys too, right? It was like he had a puck on, puck on a string. So that was great to see from Logan Brown. Um, Marcus Nermy, on the other hand, I'd say took a step back from where I saw what I thought of him last year. I got to say that kind of breaks my heart to say it, but he's, he's a really big guy, but he doesn't sit too low, uh, in his skating, which results in him just never really looking like he's, um, fully keeping up with any of the plays or that, or that sort of thing. So yeah, I know she's like kind of leaning forward more than he is using his legs. Yeah, exactly. So that, that was a little discouraging to see. Uh, and and he's coming off a, a pretty he regressed a fair bit season to season in, in the Finnish league going from a ten goal season to a one goal season is uh, is pretty damning and um, especially on a good so, team I mean Capo Caco was was one of his teammates wasn't he 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 played on a line with them quite often like, too like they they're down on the third line and so I don't know how you don't bury one or two just just by being alongside that guy I know it's off a bit your backside of a, or something right so. That's that's a little discouraging, and you did have another 2016, the forgotten 2016 pick. Todd Burgess was at camp. Oh, too, was he? Yeah, nice. He missed. Um, a, was it last year? Or two years ago? He, I feel like he missed a lot of time with injury. Yeah, he missed the full season, and the year after he was drafted, he blew out his something in his leg, so he missed his uh, freshman season in the NCAA. And um, you know, he's got a great one timer, but otherwise, I don't really see much of of anything there. You know, he got the invite back, but. At best, these guys probably going to bounce between the AHL and ECHL, I think. Okay, so I mean, Logan Brown is the standout from the 2016 class, so he's probably one of the guys that's closest to NHL ready. Uh, of the guys, this might be too much of a qualifier, but of the guys who haven't played in the NHL yet, who who of that group would be the closest? Ooh, that's a really interesting question. Just of everyone who was at camp in general? Yeah, but who hasn't played in the NHL. Like I'm thinking guys like Verono was there, but he played in the NHL. Yeah. Balsers, too. Yeah, Jonathan Davidson is probably the name that would come to mind without really scanning the list. Uh, I was super excited to see him live, and he didn't disappoint. It was a bummer that he's still recovering, or he wasn't cleared for contact. That's why he didn't play in the scrimmage or the three-on-three tournament. He did mention that he's got some sinus surgery coming up so they were also concerned about that personally it's it's concerning to have a guy suffer two concussions in one one season and the last one that he suffered it was just really weird how long it seemed like he kept trying to come back and then he was delayed and he played about eight minutes in one game in the playoffs and had to sit out but He's, he's put up 50 points in, in in 90 Swedish Hockey League games basically over the past yeah, two seasons. That's nothing to stick your nose up at, uh, definitely. Um, I yeah. remember I tagged you in this in this poll, and we got over 1,000 votes on it, and I was actually shocked at how close it was because I think if we had done it right after the Matt Duchesne trade, Abramov would have been the, the slam dunk take-it-to-the-bank champion. But out of over that 1,020 votes, 44% thought that Jonathan Davidson was the more compelling prospect that we acquired in mm-hmm. that trade. Who did you vote for in that poll? I voted for Davidson in that in that poll. I think, I can't remember, did you put that up right before day one or after day one? It was one? June 26th, so I want to okay. say that was right in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. It I, was I after, I think, for... one, of you, one of the days that you posted, and you're like, you're yeah. like, Davidson's looking great. And I watched the video, yeah. I was like, man, this guy's flying. 
he is flying. He's got really silky hands, too, which I didn't know. I really haven't seen him play that often. The first game he played after being acquired by the Sens, he got blown up and suffered that concussion on a really dirty hit. So, uh, And in contrast, I really wasn't blown away by Abramov during the drill section of death camp. Uh, you know, he just wasn't standing out in any in any way, really. Um, Justin Bourne had a really great article on development camp sometime in the past week or two for The Athletic. If you haven't had a chance to read that, I'd highly recommend it because he's gone through dev camps as a coach, as a player, as a fan, and he p- provided some really interesting perspectives. And, you know, the whole analogy was how terrible he thought Mitch Marner was at Marner's first dev camp with the Leafs when Bourne was a coach during the drill section. And then when they moved into more of the scrimmages and tournaments, this guy looked like the best player on the ice. And I think Abramov, although by no means am I saying he's Mitch Marner, he had that similar sort of profile where he really didn't do much in the drills, but he was the first star at the scrimmage and one of the best players at the three-on-three tournament as well. Huge compete level on him. Okay. Yeah, I I noticed that um, even in Belleville last year, he definitely is no fear of going into the corners and going into those dirty areas. And for a guy, I want to say he's five foot eight. He's definitely not not uh, close to six feet. Uh, that's pretty compelling to to see. What I like is that we we ended up getting an ant, a reply on on that poll um, from a from a guy who's who's been watching him in the Swedish Hockey League, a gentleman from Sweden, saying that uh, Davidson got all those points on the third line in Sweden, saying he's the fastest player in the Swedish Hockey League and he's going to make a big impact for the Sens. So that's something that uh, I think Sens fans can probably hang their hat on. Love it. Uh, And now uh, moving on to uh, the Jonathan Petra Award, Parker Kelly, he gets that award for a second straight season. What do you what do you think of Kelly? I mean, he he was one of the Sens prospects that uh, made it the farthest uh, in in the year this year, the Mem Cup. Uh, all the way to the Mem Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on him, Henry? Yeah, he quietly put up thirty goals this year in the Western Hockey League. I think every guy who's won that hardest worker award at the Dev Camp has gone on to play an NHL game. I think Parker Kelly is going to be a huge pest, and I absolutely love it. I'm very excited to have a few of those guys in the system. Uh, I'd expect him to get his feet wet in Belleville this season. It was it was interesting to watch him. He was he was part of that uh, you know elite class, the closest class who was not cut, and so he got to play in the three on three tournament. And he's got a you know the the skill side of the game is not his forte. Let's say that, which is which is fine. Um, but I see him probably. It would be safe to project him out maybe at like a Jean Gabriel Peugeot type player who has a bit of Brendan Gallagher in him too. That's, that's what I'm thinking. I've heard worse uh, player comparisons than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to move to another centerman then. It's your first opportunity to see Josh Norris wearing Sens colors after uh, following him over the past year since being acquired. Um, yeah. Still, like Davidson, didn't participate in the scrimmage, still nursing his surgery, says he'll be 100% by camp. But uh, initial impressions on Mr. Norris. Yeah, I loved in the in the interview he did with Dean and Gore during the scrimmage too. He was saying that he was trying to convince the doctors to let him play in the scrimmage. He wanted to get out there and get on the ice, um, but they said, you know, you you just not worth it. Take it, take another month or two off. You can just my first impression seeing him out there for the first time on the on the first day was that this is a confident kid and it comes with good reason, um, and he's fairly talkative out there too, which I always like to see a uh, good move by the Sens to mic him up for a little feature there, yes. I think, on day yes, two or we three. Yes, that. And that's great, especially yeah. on a team that, that he's coming into his first dev camp with. Like, it's not as though he's been in the organization for a year or two. Like, these are all new kids, and, and he 
clearly didn't have a problem speaking up right away. That's it. And, you know, it's a little, it's got to be a little bit of that. It's, it's a mini team USA out there. You mentioned that he trains with John Gruden and knows a few of the other guys, Logan Brown and stuff from, from us national program stuff. So I, I think he took a massive leap forward last season as a prospect. And I'm really excited to see what he can do. Likely starting down in Belleville this season, the majority of the season down in Belleville. Uh, we're going to need you to get down to Belleville just as an aside as well for next, uh, next year, at least for a game or two. Um, we've got a couple more for you and this one, I'm just going to be pretty blunt. Uh, should I wait or should I go ahead and buy my Eric Branstrom Jersey tomorrow? <laughs> I think Eric Branstrom, you're going, you're going to, you're going to need to, you're going to need an Eric Branstrom Jersey at some point. No doubt. This guy has just some insane skill. He showed it off in the first couple of days of drills. I thought he slowed down a little bit during the scrimmage and the three on three tournament. And it's not that he isn't a cut above, but I think he still just got a little bit of work to do. I'd expect him to take the same sort of progression. I think he'll be back at dev camp next summer, and he's really going to dominate from start to finish. But I still think there is a little bit of work to do, so I I wouldn't be surprised to see him spend a fair bit of time down in Belleville this season, and that's not a bad thing. No, I I was saying uh, earlier, right before we had you on, or or maybe it was after, I've got everything all kind of jumbled right now, but that... This is this is Calder Cup year for for the Belleville Senators, yep. and I would like to see Eric Branstrom play the entire year down there. And that's why I actually really like the Ryan Hain, Ron Hainsey pickup, uh, just to mm-hmm. push everyone down one slot in the in the depth chart at least for another year. Getting Willannon as another aside to a two way contract in the first year, what Huge. a what a win for for the organization. And I'm sure that him pumping up some numbers in the minors will just help his his next contract as well. Um, but getting back to Branstrom, you said he slowed down, so that kind of um, kind of steers me into what I think your answer is going to be. But we heard Dorian say that Bernard Docker was the best defenseman on the ice at Dev Camp, outplaying Eric Branstrom. Do you agree with that statement? Yes, absolutely. He was consistent start to finish. I think that's going to be a label that follows Bernard Docker around for his career. Consistent, reliable, steady. Every time I watch him play, I get more excited about the kind of player Ottawa has in its system. In its system, like he moves so it looks like he's not even really trying out there sometimes, and he's he can dabble in the offensive side of things too, right? Uh, he literally sounds like the opposite of Cody Cece. Everything that you just described. Exactly. I think he's the perfect future partner for either Shabbat or Branson. One of those guys can be on the left. You have Bernard Docker on the right. It's going to be great. I would expect him to crack the Canadian World Junior roster this year, too, which is quite an accomplishment for uh, an NCAA player if he can pull that off. Definitely. And thinking back to four other recent memory, like Dante Fabro and Kale McCarr, two guys that come to mind, two guys who are going to have very bright futures. So if he could add his name to that uh, pretty prestigious list of NCAA guys, um, that'd be huge. He just has to decide whether it's Bernard, whether it's Docker, or is he going elbow to elbow on the nameplate? <laughs> Absolutely. I think he's an elbow-to-elbow guy, but we'll see. All right, last question before we let you go, uh, Henry. At Sens Prospects, we're talking to you. You better follow him. If you follow us and not him, you're already kind of behind. So uh, out of the guys who have played in the NHL, see, I was teeing you up when I when I held these guys Ooh. out of the last question. So I'm thinking friend of the show, Drake Batherson. I'm thinking Max Verono. I'm thinking Rudolph Balsers. I'm thinking Alex Formanton to a lesser extent. How many of those guys can play in the NHL full-time next season? Great question. I think you're going to see two of them spend at least more time in the NHL than in the AHL. I'm going to guess Drake and Rudolph. That's it. Yep. Those are the two. 
And so tell, tell me a bit more about Rudolph Balsers for, for some fans who maybe didn't get to see him. as We were lucky to see him in, in Belleville quite a bit. But, I mean, what a tenacious player. Yeah, all four of those guys were really cut above out there. So I like spot on singling them all out. It was too bad that Balsers, when the Carlson trade happened, obviously Dev Camp was long done last year. So this was his first opportunity to attend. I assume it will be his last as well. Uh, he... You know, watching him in Belleville early last year, he looked a little small out there, and I really wasn't expecting him to get as long a look as he did in the NHL. And he really quietly put up some very respectable numbers for his first NHL campaign. I mean, contrast that against what Colin White did in his first sort of extended call-up a couple seasons ago. I think he had six points in about 20 games. Balters was was well ahead of that. He, I, I put him on the, the level of um, Bernard Docker, he really didn't look like he was trying too hard out there, and it was just easily one of the best players would immediately catch your eyes. So, uh, you know, mention not to mention that he's just got an incredible, incredible shot, but he can also dish the puck. He put up a ton of points for Latvia at the World Championships. So, really, with him at Norris, I'm the Sens low key. I'm I'm happy with some of the players they got back for dealing the franchise defenseman. Yeah, de- dealing basically everyone who the fans loved. <laughs> well, it was nice because we weren't able to get to Ottawa this year, so it was awesome to have you on kind of a, a boots-on-the-ground look of, of what's happening with the development of these young kids who really are the future of the Sens. Before I let you go, uh, we we got to get your opinion on, on the moves that the real Senators made, um, the trade, getting rid of Cody Cece, and the return. All in all, how would you sum up July 1st for the Ottawa Senators? That's that was an that's an unexpected July first. I can think back a few a few years ago. I remember when sort of the biggest news was getting you know Mark Mathod and Mike Lundin. For some reason, that candidate they sticks out. Wait, mine. that that overtook Eric O'Dell's press conference. <laughs> I love that that bubbles up every year. Yeah. Uh, um, give, you know, give, I'm a little I'm a little chap at giving away a third round pick for Ottawa. Ottawa's helping Toronto get out of this cap relief situation. Why are they giving up? Uh, a pick that kind of that bugged me. The term on Zaitsev, that's not ideal. But I don't expect Ottawa to be a competitive team for at least two more seasons. So you got to pay someone will play to play eat up minutes. Uh, Cody Cece needed to get moved out of here. I like the Tyler Ennis acquisition. I imagine Ron Hainsey is going to return a pick at the deadline. So, and I like Connor Brown. So overall, it could have been a lot worse. I think. And uh, a piece of that uh, Zaitsev CC deal that is kind of going uh, unnoticed, I noticed uh, you talked about it a little, maybe you can elaborate, is uh, Mike Carcone. Am I saying that right? I think uh, we'll go with that. I now, like it. Sure. I like it sounding like that. It's super Italian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he put up some great numbers in Utica and with the Marlies. I think this is actually, he's actually a piece that, can really help Belleville. The Calder and, Cup run. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, the Calder Cup run. And uh, I don't know about you, but maybe this is a guy that could see some fringe NHL time. What are your thoughts on uh, this guy? Yeah, I think I think this is just a natural progression we're seeing down in Belleville every year. They kind of level up those AHL vets that they bring on. You yeah, he seems like a Paul you, Carey kind of guy. Yeah, year one you had like an Ethan Warrick who wasn't like ideal. Then last year, okay, you had Carey that was good. Kind of a miss on Tambellini and Chase What about Fallacy. Jim O'Brien? Come on. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy OB, that was great. Good to see him. He's going to go have fun in Germany now, I guess. But Carcone, they, well, they mentioned that they targeted him from the Canucks earlier in the year in that whole Mike McKenna 
Anders Nielsen deal. Okay. So he's been he's been on their radar for a little while, which I thought was kind of a surprising statement. But he really turned it on when he when he got traded to the Marlies. He you know scored over forty goals in the queue one year. It looks like a guy who's going to add some great depth offense in Belleville, and yeah, could definitely it wouldn't be shocking if he got uh, a look at the NHL, especially given that he got they the fact that. Dorian mentioned that this is a guy that they kept their eye on for some time. Uh, speaks to how the organization has evaluated him over the past whatever six, twelve months. That in-depth analysis on an AHL player is why you are as <laughs> locked in as anybody who covers the Ottawa Senators at Sens Prospects. You already know him on Twitter. Give his YouTube channel a subscription as well. Ton of great content there, Henry. We will do this again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, guys. Talk to you soon. Once again, thank you to friend of the show, Henry, at Sens Prospects. Soon after development camp wrapped up, July 1st came and went, but not before the Sens made a number of transactions all within the province of Ontario. And let's take a positive spin first and foremost. The Cody Cece nightmare is over. And how great is it going to be seeing him? Wearing the blue and white. It's going to be amazing. He was traded to the Maple Leafs along with Ben Harper, Aaron Luchuk, and a Columbus third-round pick from 2020 that was previously acquired for Sens legend Ian Cole. And in return, the Ottawa Senators received Nikita Zaitsev, Connor Brown, and Michael Carcone. I believe he's Italian, but... I want to get right out in front of this one. The deal was completed after the Toronto Maple Leafs paid a $3 million signing bonus to Nikita Zaitsev. So the Senators will be paying him $1.5 million of the $4.5 million cap hit that will be going on with that. But Connor Brown's a nice sweetener. I won't call him a throw-in. I'm going to call him a sweetener because he's shown offensive potential before and never really had an opportunity to play in the top six. So... Pilsy, aside from the obvious that you do not have to see Cody Cece spinning around in his own end, what are your thoughts on this deal? Yeah, the, I'm, I'm glad we started this off the right way. The first thing that needs to be said, it doesn't matter what the deal was, is Cody Cece is gone. I don't know how, like, we could probably snip if we went through all six or 59 previous episodes and just clipped all of our negative comments about Cody CC's play, we could probably bang out three episodes of just Cody CC content. <laughs> Slander. So, so to finally have him gone, and you know what? I'm sure he's a great guy, and I wish him the best, but he just was not fitting in Ottawa at all. The disconnect between how the franchise valued him, how the fans valued him, and his actual value was all over the place. So this guy needed to go before the Sens locked him into a uh, seven-year deal or something ridiculous like that. Mind you, now they take on the Leafs' worst defenseman at a longer term, $4.5 million for, I believe, it's five more years. But honestly, there's no way that Nikita Zaitsev can be worse than Cody Cece. That's, that's what I'm holding on to. This. 0%. And Zaitsev, if you look at his first season as a rookie, he actually had a pretty good season. Uh, I think 36 points and 12 of them were on the power play. That's how he got that massive uh, contract. The Leafs uh, pulled the trigger a little quick. But he's also great in uh, special teams. He he can play the power play. He was uh, in the top 15 in total time on ice, shorthanded. Mind you, 
time on ice, just being there shorthand, it doesn't mean you excelled yeah, at it. Well, I mean, Cody Cece excels at being on the ice. Yeah, well, Cody Cece was 50th time on ice and shorthanded uh, time on ice. Just He was uh, Ottawa's top guy, no surprise. Um, but honestly, as long as we can see a, a flashes of Zaitsev from his rookie season, and he wanted out of Toronto, so maybe now that he's out of Toronto and he's got a fresh start, may, hopefully his relationship with DJ Smith is good, which I'm assuming that was a big reason why that trade happened, then this could end up being a good deal for just the CC Zaitsev swap alone. Yeah, I was talking to a few people around TSN today, and notably Kristen Shilton. I was asking, like, like, what fell off the rails? And she said, it, and it almost sounded kind of like Cody Cece, is that Babcock was putting him in too much of a defensive role when that's just not his game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he likes having the puck on his stick, and Babcock is a very off-the-glass-and-out kind of coach. So uh, I don't think that it was it was a very good fit, although she did tell me that once Jake Muzzin was brought in, his confidence came back a little bit. Okay. So that was something to, uh, to definitely keep our eye on it. Uh, I was going to go back and like I was looking at some of his KHL numbers. You can see why he got an NHL contract, put up some great numbers, but that league's rigged to the team that he played for. So I don't know how much of that to really like, yeah, I don't know how much solace we can put in that fact. I am excited to see what becomes of this because this is a guy who's the literally under contract for longer than any other Senator. Yeah. This is Right now, until Shabbat, if and when he signs a contract longer than five years, this is this is the core of your team, Nikita Zaitsev. Welcome to your Zaitsev years, Ottawa Senators fans. And, I mean, Parley, what, what are you thinking about this new addition, Nikita Zaitsev? We go from not having any Russians to now having a Russian with the longest deal. You know what? I've got two ultimates in this situation, but I'm going to start it off by saying Nikita that's Zaitsev democratic of plus. you, man. This is a Russian. We need one thing, and that's the same for everybody. <laughs> Nikita Zaitsev is a plus over Cody CC in my book every day of the week. Take it to the bank, slam dunk, whatever cliche you want to use. I will take Nikita Zaitsev on my blue line over Cody CC. With that being said, here's my two ultimates. Ultimately, Nikita Zaitsev needed a fresh start, and he's got it. Now he's got security, like you said, with this contract. The Senators took him on. They believe in him. Guess what? You're here for the next however long his contract lasts. Now, here we go, fresh start. The other ultimate is Connor Brown's the ultimate foot soldier, and DJ Smith already knows that. Ottawa Senators is a great skating team, and they just added another skater that probably jumps into their top five skaters yep. and skating ability and ability to play the 200-foot game. I like the deal a lot. I, I, think I, I think I underestimated Connor Brown Yep. Yeah. until I looked into it. Now, if you're a Sens fan and you're looking into it and you're like, oh, my God, he had 128 points his last year junior. How many points would you have playing with Connor McDavid? <laughs> 100%. But so I, points, I clicked Ross, that. I clicked that so fast when I saw, when I saw it, and sure enough, there's 17 year old Connor McDavid right under him in points. And Ross, you want to talk points? It's actually funny you brought that up. His first point with the Ottawa Senators will be his 100th. Wow, I like yeah. that for sure. Yeah, Connor Connor Brown is a guy that I I like in this deal. First off, he's uh, uh, the Sens are weak on the right side. 
So they needed a right winger that has NHL experience and yeah. not to mention has some sort of cap hit. You got to hit the floor, boys. 2.1 cap hit. <laughs> yeah. And the nice thing, too, is, you know what? Maybe he he plays his heart out for the Sens. He has a good season. And you got two options. You flip him at the deadline. I'm sure lots of teams would love that. Or you try to bring him back for a couple of years because we all know the Sens struggle with free agents. So the best bet for them is to trade for competent players, hope they like it, hope they have uh, a good season in in the Ottawa organization, and hopefully sticks, sticks around for a bit. And this is a hard-nosed guy who's good for 25 to 30 points a season. I think with more chances on a uh, definitely less talented Senators team, he can put up even more points. So I think the Connor Brown part of this trade was a plus for the Sens for sure. I expect Connor Brown to have 40 points this year. Yeah, and, that, and that's yeah. not unreasonable. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, he's a 40 to 50 point player, and he's put up points everywhere he goes, obviously in minor hockey, but playing junior A as a 15-year-old, 39 points in 49 games. Even his two years in the AHL, his his only full year in the AHL, he had 61 and 76. Then he had almost a point a game here, 29 and 34, the year he got the, the initial call up. Um, and then after that, I mean, 20 goals in his rookie year in the NHL. And that was the beginning of the of the rebuild. That was the Austin Matthews rookie year. And then as they've developed, yeah, maybe he's found a little bit of a lesser role with the development of guys like Andreas Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen. Yeah. So I think if the in the Leafs perspective, it's a win for them because those two aforementioned names aren't in the trade. Yeah. But by making Connor Brown expendable doesn't mean that he's any less of a player. So I do think that um, that yeah, he can bring some valuable minutes, and he's a good penalty killer too. Yeah, and he'll Absolutely. be he'll be on the first penalty kill unit. I think DJ Smith will use him in all situations, and uh, I'm actually really excited about everything about Connor Brown, except for the fact that if Logan Brown makes the team, we're gonna yeah. have to get into the L dot and C dot, and it's just gonna drive me through the wall. But I mean, if that's the only negative in a player that's being almost swapped out for Cody Cece, hallelujah. Yeah, and the the part about this trade that I probably would say I'm most upset about but obviously understand is that third-round pick going to Toronto is basically the Sens trading draft picks for real dollars. Like, my my understanding is that pick was sent so that the Leafs would pick up Zaitsev's signing bonus, and I think Connor Brown uh, had a signing bonus as well. So basically, they traded a third-round pick for three and a half million real dollars, yeah. which is sad to see a rebuilding team do. But, but Eugene Melnick. But I mean, Ian Cole in that Pittsburgh trade. If Ian Cole's not in that trade, it's still a win for the Sens. It's Gustafson, Bernard Docker, and Tyconic yeah. for Broussard. So then, just pretend Cole wasn't there, and then the draft pick wasn't there, and then it's nothing. Yeah, sure. That's a good way to rationalize it. I just talked myself into that. Yeah. All right. But yeah, and I mean, we already have Columbus's second round pick this year. We just drafted with their second round this year. Their first round, like, we don't need all of Columbus's picks. We can share well, them. I don't know. I kind of want to keep all Columbus's picks because that team is looking like a shell of its former self. Like, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the bottom of the league next year. Like, look at the guys they lost. You lose Duchesne, Panarin, Dezingle. Uh, Bobrovsky and all they really got back if that I can remember is Gustav Nyquist so this team those could be really good draft picks so I actually kind of wish they kept Columbus's third and maybe got rid of a, uh, some other draft pick but uh, that's the way it goes I missed another Columbus pick so we also have their second round pick next year yeah 
like not this upcoming draft, the one after 2021. Yeah. 2020. yeah. Holy moly. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh that's a lot of Columbus draft picks. I actually I want to I want to see Columbus here if I can find them. No, I can't find it quick enough, but I want to say that they they only have two draft picks next year. So uh, that's a big yikes for a team that uh, should be rebuilding now in a hurry. But respect to Yarmo for going all in. I think we spoke about that uh, right after the trade deadline. Um, all right. So after the trade, the Sens dipped right back into the the pool of of Toronto Maple Leafs. And um, I mean, are we are we giving DJ Smith the the head pro scout honors already, like we did with Guy Boucher? I mean, he went right back to the well. Uh, Ron Hainsey was a bit of a surprise for me. I knew that they were looking to bring in veteran presence. I, I was more thinking it was going to be a forward. I know we all had our, our kind of eyes set on, on Jason Spezza, and I stuttered before I said that mm. because, come on, Jason. Come on, yeah. man. That was talking Jason Spezza. Um, so, yeah, Ron Hainsey comes in as a veteran one year, $3.5 million. Money doesn't matter. They had to hit the floor uh, one way or another. And the interesting one, though, is Tyler Ennis, I think, on a one-year $800,000 deal because when he was in the Leafs lineup last year, he was pretty good. Hey, he's got speed, plays the way that I think he's an upgrade on Brian Gibbons, he's an upgrade on Oscar Lindbergh, and he's an upgrade on Magnus Pajarvi. So I think just just by that, I mean, they made their team better. Parley, which one of those two guys are you looking forward to seeing more? I think Tyler Ennis, you said it, Brian Gibbons last year had was kind of entertaining to watch, and it was almost kind of the, the Brian Gibbons show just because we, we couldn't believe how many points he was putting up. I mean, you said it, he's an upgrade. Ron Hainsey for me is kind of a, well, money – it, they need to hit the floor, and that's what it was for me. We talked about what Connor Brown can bring on the penalty kill. I think that's kind of where you have to look to be positive when you're talking about the Ron Hainsey deal. He can help out on the penalty kill. Uh, he's That's where he's most valuable. So if you're looking to be optimistic on the Ron Hainsey um, pickup, that would be where your eyes would go. But definitely Tyler Ennis for me, uh, former 20-goal scorer. Uh, I was a fan of him early in his career, so now that he's come to the Ottawa Senators, we'll see how much left he has in the tank, and I think that will be a a little bit of a, a fun storyline to follow this year. Yeah, for for me, Ron Hainsey, this is, this is another move where DJ Smith is uh, bringing in a guy he's comfortable with, and like you said, Chris, uh, he plays a lot of time on the penalty kill, which is Ottawa needed a boost on that penalty kill. Basically, what I'm looking at here is these moves are being done. If you look at them, Ennis and Hainsey, both one-year deals. These are being done to bring guys in to help shelter the developing prospects so that they're not getting thrown into the fire. Hainsey's an older guy who can handle a lot of penalty minutes. I mentioned Zaitsev was top 15 in total shorthanded time on ice last year. Hainsey is right there with him, I think uh, 13th. So... He can play the penalty kill without having to throw a guy like Yarosh or someone who's not really ready to be killing penalties at such a high rate. And again, it's a one-year deal. Hopefully, you flip him at the deadline and you you retain either some pros or sorry, you get back either some prospects or uh, draft picks. So I don't mind that at all. And then Tyler Ennis, I think this is a, a low-risk option that can really. Uh, do well for the centers. He had 12 goals in 51 games with the Leafs last season. If you if you put that into 82 games, he plays a full season. 
that's projected right around 20 goals, and that's at the bottom of a very, very talented Leafs lineup. If he can play up more in the lineup with the Sens, this guy could get close to 20 goals, and that's another candidate you can flip at the deadline. So I have no problem with either of these signings, uh, providing that they're only one-year deals and it's low risk. There are so many one-year deals left for the Ottawa Senators. It's, it's almost scary to look at. Like, after this season... Bobby Ryan is signed for two years. Zach Smith is signed for one year. Brady Kachuk is signed for one year. Zaitsev signed for four. And Will Lannan, on his brand new deal, which we'll get into right now, is signed for one year. Everybody else is up. Wait, before we move on to Will Lannan, I just have you guys ever seen... Oh. S- Sorry, Anders Nielsen also signed one year. Have you guys ever seen, even try to think of in pro sports at all, where two major rivals have had this much uh, interjection in their own locker rooms? Like, just look at this Sens team now. you got the Leafs' assistant coach as the head coach now. You've got two defensemen from there and two forwards. That's five Leaf guys in this locker room now. Like, I w- that's got to be a little strange, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 100%. Especially after the owner said that they forgot about defense yeah, and he doesn't hire all their defense. That's the icing on the cake, Melnick. What a, what a weird, like, you say they forget about defense and you hire their assistant coach who, if I'm not mistaken, was. was in charge of their defense. Yep. You switch your worst defenseman for their worst defenseman for longer term. You then overpay for the, for their oldest defenseman. Like, it's it's just hilarious. And not a big deal. They grab. Tyson Berry and Jake Muzzin. Yeah, yeah, a bit of an upgrade. Yeah, but they also have Ben Harper and Cody Cece. So, <laughs> um, Christian Willanen <laughs> might have one of those spots opened up with Ben Harper's departure. And I don't know how they got him to, to agree to a two-way contract in the first year, but that's actually huge. Yep. I'm all for, for Willanen being in the NHL, but I'm also on full steam ahead the Belleville Senators better compete for the Calder Cup this season. I'm all in on that. And if that means are on Bell Vegas. Oh man. Pilsy <laughs> and I are gonna be lifting that trophy. Yeah. I mean, there's no two ways about it. It'll be earned, not given. That's 100%. that's for sure. So with Willandon on this two year deal, two way in the first year, one way, one million dollars in the second year, you get that extra flexibility. And best part is He'll still be an RFA after that deal. That's when you lock him up long term. Now with Colin White, who's still an RFA, I'm all for locking him up five, six, seven years right now because in three or four years, the cap hit will be much lower than his value if his trajectory remains what I believe it will. A few other signings uh, to, that we'll just breeze through um, since our last show. Anthony Duclair, one year, one point six five. Also, I mean, doubled what he made last year, but I thought that with his production, he could have at least gotten a two- or three-year deal, Pilsy. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about a couple times on previous pods. That would have been preferred, I would say. But, hey, again, and uh, sorry to keep going over this, but that's a one-year deal that if if you don't want to keep him, you can flip him at the deadline. So these are the kind of, like, all you're really trying to do is shelter your developing prospects and get future assets. So if... Either they decide he's good enough and they try to lock him up or flip him. I'm good either way. What I really like about that signing is that 
when the Sens were at their best last year, they were the best skating team in my mind automatically. It was that night in Ottawa where they beat the Leafs 6-2 and thousands and thousands of fans from Toronto poured into the CTC and ended up leaving five minutes early. And uh, you look at that game, they skated so well. Anthony Duclair had three points. Yep. So if you're going to always point out when you play the Leafs. Yeah, DJ Smith, I mean, he had a front row view of it. And, I mean, he said he watched how many games from the Senators last year. That was definitely when they were at their best. So, I mean, Anthony DeClaire might be a uh, solution to the problem. I always love uh, following Sense Chirp. I'm sure everyone who's listening to this also follows him. But he's always just the air of positivity. So, as everyone was, was kind of questioning whether or not um, picking up all these former Leafs was a good call. Sandstrip goes, DJ Smith watched 20 games of video, identified Ottawa's two worst defensemen, and then immediately had the GM trade both of them to his former team. Good start, coach. Yeah. Not bad. <laughs> not bad. So yeah. just by you mentioning how many games of film you watched, that made me think of that. But what were you saying? I mean, I think the Senators are just the best. They were... When they competed the best, they were skating, outskating their opponent. So if you're going to add a guy to your lineup to give him another shot, why not give it to a great skater who not only can skate well, but can produce well the team is playing at a fast pace? Yeah, and he's, he's definitely going to be on the NHL roster. You can't say the same about another guy who re-signed, Nick Paul. What do you think? Do you give him an inside track of making it finally? I mean, he's like 25 years old now. It just is this a broken record or what? I mean, yeah. we've all third line. It, it's almost it's almost come full circle because Jason Spezza has now been signed to another new team. So it's like the main piece coming back on for a franchise centerman is now just kind of stuck in a revolving door of one way deals, or sorry, one year deals two ways where you, you kind of hope. It just it keeps happening, keeps happening. Although it, it is like it guys, is good for for the the whole Belleville making a run because I mean it's a two way deal. So uh, of course he would need waivers, but yeah, I don't think there's going to be a line to to claim him. Yep. But yeah, and and the thing so. with Nick Paul is just it's it's so frustrating because Ross, we had a front row seat to him, and if. Uh, you go on uh, Henry's page, Sens Prospect, you can see a lot. Uh, Henry's a big fan of Paul's game in the AHL. You see, you can see five or six different amazing moves that Paul has, has pulled through in the minors in Belleville. But then when he does get his chance in the NHL, he just, he's almost invisible. He just can't make himself uh, a roster can't spot. He uses power to advantage. In the AHL, he just shields guys off and just holds the puck, holds the puck, holds the puck. He can't do that in the NHL. Yeah, the hockey IQ is there. I just I don't know what it is that he's not able to push it to that next level. I'm totally fine with bringing him back because, like you said, he could be a major piece on this Belleville team that can help them win uh, Calder Cup. But I don't I don't have a roster spot for him in the NHL. I'm sorry. I'm I'm done with the the Nick Paul game in the NHL. Before we get to what we consider to be our very early, but not too early, I don't think, because most of the roster maneuvering is already done for the Ottawa Senators, but we're going to give what we would have as our opening night lineup. But before we do that, there's a couple other notes. DJ Smith, 
has named his assistant coaches, Jack Capuano. You remember him as uh, the former head coach of the New York Islanders for parts of, of many seasons, it feels like. Uh, and Davis Payne uh, as well, formerly of the St. Louis Blues. Um, he was working where most recently? Anyways. Yeah, I don't remember. Assistant coaches, yeah. but they're hired. I think I'm more interested in uh, there were a couple new hires at development camp, and it was uh, Jesse Winchester, who was the head coach for the Brockville Braves in Tier 2 Junior A, um, who's now on the Sens full-time development team, and Clark MacArthur, Grizz. Love having him around. What a presence. What a great guy for the prospects to learn from. He'll be coming in and out, commuting from uh, Florida. He'll be up for about a week, a month throughout the year. Would be an amazing guest on this show. Absolutely. And uh, Chris Kelly has decided that he wants to spend more time with his family. I thought he did a great job behind the bench. Maybe that's something he wants to pursue, and it just didn't work out with DJ Smith. But um, stick taps to Chris Kelly, always a great senator and Olympic gold medalist. How are you doing? Wait, they didn't win gold, did they? They did not. Bronze. Damn. (laughs) Hey, you got him out. Hey, better to win bronze and silver means you won your last game. Sure. Uh, Chris Kelly will not be on the Sens opening night lineup, but Pilsy, who's on yours? Let's go. Uh, let's go forwards. Okay. Well, I mean, pretty much there's so many players on this roster and like we've made jokes about a million times, you could have four great third lines, but the way I see it shaking out is I've got Kachuk, White, Duclair, Ryan, Tierney, Batherson, and this is the line I like the most. Balsers, Brown, Brown. Bodker, Pajot, Ennis, and then you keep Smitty as your extra. That's where I'm sitting. So, see, I, I left a couple spots open because I want these young guys hungry. I want the competition till the end of camp. So I, I left Brown off. I left Balsers off. I left Drake off for now. I have two open spots on mine. So I, I think I want to see Connor Brown in a top, like, top line role right off the bat. See what he has. So put him with White and Kachuk. Then I'd put Tierney between Duclair and Bobby Ryan. See if you can help. I mean, the only thing that worries me there is Tierney and Ryan. Those are two slower players. And although Duclair is one of the fastest guys on the team, I think that could present some problems. But with Tierney and Ryan, what I like there is Tierney, although he may be slow, he, he's great with the puck. He yeah, can he make good passes, pass. which Ryan just needs someone to feed him the puck and True. get in a good spot to shoot it. So I think those two, although they're slower, they can make it make it work with each other. I mean, Tierney had like 39 assists last year, so he can dish the puck. Yep. Then I've got Ennis Pajot and an open roster spot on the right wing, which I'm hoping Drake steals, seals, I should say. Um, and then on the fourth line, I've got Smitty and Bodker on the wings with an open spot down the middle uh, for the likes of either Logan Brown, Josh Norris, or Philip Schlappick. Now, Drake's going to have some competition for that right wing spot, too, in, in my uh, setup here, as I only have one spot for either Batherson or Formanton or Balsers or Nick Paul or Max Verona. So those are all guys who played NHL games last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like the competition, though, and it just it's healthy competition, and uh, obviously throughout the year guys get hurt and whatnot. But uh, uh, Parley, is yours much different than ours? Who do you have open? It's not. It's not that. It's not different enough to go through the four lines. Um, I have a couple kind of interesting things to throw at you. I think my biggest question mark is the right wing on the top line. Yeah. 
got Brady Kachuk and you've got Colin White. Lock them both in for top line minutes. Man, yeah. you know who would look really good there? Tell me. Mark Stone. <laughs> <laughs> I said, tell me, don't break my heart. <laughs> Um, I, I, I like Co- I like Connor Brown there, Parley. I really do. You talk about Bobby Ryan uh, having needing to get the puck. I just think he needs to be in a situation where points come easiest to him. And I don't think it gets any easier than when Brady Kachuk's standing in front. But, but I want Brady on the forecheck, and when the puck squirts loose, I need someone fast in there. I would put Duclair up there on the right side before I move Bobby. But that's the thing. If you put Bobby on the top line, Chris, you're saying easier way to get points. Sure, you got better line mates, but you're playing against way better players. True. I'm with you. I'm with you. But you got you got to spark the guy somehow. I'm yeah. just throwing out hypotheticals. Another guy that can you know, how fun would it be to see Drake on that top line? Yeah. If he was able to bring that elite skill level and vision on the ice. I mean, you got a two-way centerman who was showing he could skate at the end of last year in Colin White. Brady Chuck, who's a premium power forward. And then you get a, a elite hockey science guy. I get it. They're all young. and it's kind of super Yeah, I just don't see DJ world. putting out 322 and unders. But, I mean, if you could build a line, if they were a little bit older... That would be the line I'd throw out there. We're talking about putting Declare. You say you can't see two, 22 and unders. He's 23. <laughs> yeah, but he's got five years of NHL experience. Yeah, definitely. Experience. No, just by age is kind of funny. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think the defense is where it gets a little more interesting. Uh, so let's move on to that. Uh, the top pair is going to be the same as last year, Shabbat and DeMello. I think that's pretty yep. uh, locked in. Then I just have the the Toronto pair. I got Hainsey and Zaitsev as, as your second pair, and they'll steer the tank in the right direction, I think. Uh, and then my third pair is Boro and Yarosh. I think Yarosh is going to take a big step. I like him playing with Boro, yeah. uh, two hardworking guys. To, and, I mean, just being around Boro every day, Yarosh just probably just even wants it that much more. Like, I know how hard I compete, but, wow, look at this guy too. Yep. Um, it also allows Willannon and Brandstrom and the Miners a little bit longer. And I know maybe some people think that's over-seasoning on Willannon, but you got to take advantage of waiver exemptions while you can. And, man, that would be so good for the Belleville power play. Both left shots. Like, one unit has Branstrom, one unit has Willannon. I mean, the the AHL is so much special teams, Pillar and I learned last year. Like, there are games where you have eight or nine power plays. Like, because the game is just a little bit choppier, you know? Like, when guys don't have those crisp passes, it's a little bit more of a a pinball game. So, uh, I, I think that would be awesome for their development. And I'd rather... I'd rather not rush Branstrom specifically. That is your crown jewel. We yep. we mentioned breaking your heart. Like I think all all Sens fans felt that when Mark Stone left. This is all you have to show for it. It's not like the Carlson trade where it's oh is it Norris? Is it Balsers? Is it uh, the draft the pick. pick next yeah. year? Is it is it what? No, you have one chance here. Do it right. Yep, I agree. Uh, when I talk, when I look at this defensive core, Ross, I would have the same as yours, your same top six. But what I'm going to throw out there is uh, I would play Borel and Yarrow for almost the same amount of minutes as Zaitsev and Hainsey. That's fair. And, I mean, Shabbat's going to be eating 26, 27 minutes. Yeah. Exactly. And DeMello can do that as well. Obviously not to the same effect, but he's going to have to if he's going to be playing on Shabbat's line. It's going to be a little skewed with penalty kill and power play minutes, obviously. Yeah. But – Another thing I look at is what we were hoping when another Leaf came into the lineup in Dion Phaneuf. 
when he was supposed to be the anchor and let Cody Cece play that offensive style game. Yeah, how'd that work out? Let, yeah, let, let that be the experiment with Ron Hainsey and Nikita Zaitsev. Let Zaitsev try and be that guy that can reach points and reach his potential offensively and add his confidence back into the game while you've got a six foot three. 205 pound guy on the back end with Ron Hainsey holding it down. Yeah, yeah, it's I agree with that. For the Senators. I like that. Um, it should be worth noting. I don't think Hainsey and Zaitz have ever played together in, in Toronto. I think Hainsey was pretty much just with Morgan Riley his entire yeah. two years in, in Toronto. Um, well, boys, I think we went pretty long on that one, but l- we had lots to catch up on. I mean, I, I feel like the the earthquake or whatever you want to call it is, is behind the, the summer of the Sens and it's just kind of the waiting game. Colin White's contract is something to keep an eye on. He needs one for next year. Thomas Shabbat is now eligible. And after the Habs offer sheeted Sebastian Ajo, I would be very nervous that they would be coming after a French Canadian defenseman next off season. So I don't think the Sens can let it get to that. I think that they need to dig in this summer and not let him go into next season without a contract. So that's something that I'm going to be watching for uh, going into the summer. Is there anything else that uh, that you guys have? Because, I mean, we should note as well, the rookie tournament, I'm sure we'll do uh, our next podcast right before that. It's some home cooking. It's in Belleville this year. That's good. That's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, and Ross, hopefully you and I will be there working, uh, working at uh, the rookie camp, which would be great. And I, I'm with you. Honestly, everything everything that's happened up until now in this offseason is all fine and great. Thank God we got rid of Co- Cody CC. That's music to my ears. But the only things that really matter is locking up Colin White and especially Thomas Shabbat. I, if, if this summer ends and Thomas Shabbat isn't locked up, I mean, Colin White ha- is going to have to be. But if Thomas Shabbat doesn't have a long-term good deal, I'm going to, the centers are walking on thin ice. Like that's, I'm going to take it a step further. Colin White better not be on a bridge deal. Yeah. A bridge deal for Colin White makes no sense. They, they know what they have in Colin White. Put your money where your mouth is for once and give them like a five by five deal or even, even higher salary because you have to lock this guy in. You're not going to get a centerman like him anywhere else unless you get lucky and draft him. So pay him. Well, I think that's Perfect place to end it, unless you have anything else, Parley, do you? I mean, when contract talks happen, I mean, it's kind of that sore spot in the Sens' hearts because it's been such a downfall. But I think if you're going to start a rebuild, everyone's kind of understood that this is where it is now, and we know the building blocks. And it's Colin White down the middle because the centers really don't have much else to lean on in the center position. And Thomas Shabbat's going to be that generational guy you hope he'll turn into be. And you need to lock him up as well. So I couldn't agree more that those are the next two steps for the Senators. Beyond that, it's all kind of, uh, I mean, up in the air at this point. So once those two things get done, it's time to settle in and play hockey. Couldn't have said it better any any better myself. Well, if anybody's still listening after this marathon episode of Making Sense of the Sens, thank you. For Brandon Peller, Chris Parlin, I'm Ross Levitan. We'll talk to you when the calendar flips. It's September, and hockey is right around the corner. Go Sens, go enjoy your summer. 